What up, y'all? You are now chilling with Chaz on the Luggage Life Podcast, where we have a good time unpacking the inevitable journeys of life. This is episode two. Let's get it. Life is a trip. You just have to learn to navigate. But it requires you to embrace everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the fun. First you feel, then you pack, then you stack. But when do you really have time to unpack? Tell me that. First you feel, then you pack, and you stack. But when do you really have time to unpack? Tell me that. It's luggage life. It's the luggage life. Luggage life. It's the luggage life. Luggage life. This is luggage life. So sit back. We gonna unpack and do it right. That beat is just, I don't know, it makes me group every time. And it's so funny because one of my homegirls, she hit me up and was like, oh, like, I love the 90s theme show vibe that you got going on. And it's crazy because it matches the cover art, but that wasn't intentional. And I didn't even realize that that was the impression it gave off until I went back and listened to it. And I was like, you're actually kind of right. Okay, this does give me a little full house, little TV show, little living color kind of vibe. Um, So, yeah. I am your host, Chas. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Chillin' with Chas. That's at C H I L L I N W I T C H A S on Instagram and Twitter. You can also join us in the Life Lounge group chat on Facebook. The link to that will be in the show notes, so be sure to check it out and drop in if you want to be a part of the Chill Tribe building community, going through life, and having a good time. Y'all know off top, checking in is just what we do. Last time we checked in and we discussed just gratitude over the 24-hour span, like looking over our past day and figuring out what we can take from it, how we can grow from it, what it says about what's going on with us, etc. And this week, I was having a conversation with a few of my girls on a prayer line. And my girl, Mel, shout out to Mel. She has a um, brand, Pretty Girls Pray. And they do a intention setting call every Monday morning. So shout out to that. Check Mel out on Instagram, underscore Melanie Wade. And she was in a chat with us. And we were just talking about how we were doing. Because checking in with your friends is a real thing. She asked us. Like, yo, when you aren't in alignment, when you feel off, what are some things that you essentially do to recenter yourself? And so we all went through and asked that question. But the question she asked made me reflect and think about if I feel like I'm not aligned, if I feel off, if I feel like things just aren't going how I'm supposed to, there is some tone or hint of a successful metric that I'm comparing my alignment to like I'm not doing this as well as I should be and so this week I wanted us to check in around how we are defining success I know for a lot of states people are about to start opening back up and so everybody is probably just about to pop back out here like it's normal but there have also been many of us who have been utilizing this time for a number of things and it's so easy to see other people maneuvering, shifting, moving, things happening, and kind of internalizing that and trying to think about what it means for you when really we are all able to set our own metric of success. So this week, I just want us to think around how we're defining success and if that is really appropriate for us and where we are 
in this giving time, no matter what it is you're considering. If it's a business, if it's your relationship, if it's a friendship, if it's work, really breaking down that successful measure you're using to determine if you're reaching the mark or not. And actually, speaking of success metrics and whether or not we're hitting the mark, this is the perfect segue into this week's baggage claim. We had to switch it up and do things a little differently for this here baggage claim because I want to specifically call out Miss America. Okay, I would be remiss not to acknowledge and or speak to a number of events that have happened in the past few days that I'm sure all of us are aware of, Um, but it just really calls for conversation. First of all, let's start out with Miss Amy Cooper. Shout out to whatever position she held, that company holding a standard and understanding that affiliating a certain manner of behavior with your business will not be tolerated. Thank you for that. However, I do want to speak on the fact that this very experience or that situation speaks to the apprehension of allyship in communities of color. While we can't always be sure that people who say they're for us are really for us, especially as it relates to systems in this country. It also speaks to just the freeness of white privilege when people often say they don't understand white privilege or give me an example of what white privilege is or you have the nerve to ask, does white privilege really exist? Amy just showed you, yes, it does. Okay, because the fact that she knew she could utilize the discreet and or overt messaging of our country that all I have to do is say this African-American man is threatening me and somebody's going to come to my defense and to my rescue. It's almost like she's perfected the heroic victim role, right? Like, oh, my goodness, my life's in danger. But you feel like you're doing something great by what just letting them know like hey I can threaten you threaten you in a way that is so much more powerful than you ever could to me there was also a bit of overcompensation that I feel like was happening because the whole situation allegedly started over her dog not being on a leash yet in the video we see how intensely she is holding her dog to the point that it almost looks like he is choking as she's making this allegation against this man So it's like, what was happening in your mind? There was some type of psychological thing there where you felt like, okay, let me make sure that I'm not in the wrong. I knew that this whole call started over my dog not being on a leash. Let me make sure my dog is on a leash to the point that I might have to carry him home lifeless on this leash. I also, of course, have to, have to, have to, have to speak to the Minneapolis event um, where George Floyd lost his life in the manner that he did for people just disregarding him as a human being and I can even I didn't even really want to watch that video it kind of caught me off guard as I was scrolling through social media and my heart was just so heavy I was actually having a conversation with my coworker earlier around just the impact and the secondary trauma that translates but now again to the point where I said initially 
addressing Miss America. So many people walk around, especially people of color, carrying this notion of secondary trauma or firsthand trauma being triggered, wondering if they're tripping, if they should be thinking this, if this is realistic, if it's not, because America won't uh, own up to the fact that she operates in a way that is not really equal to all humans. Like, we are not in a post-racist society. And there is no way that we want to start this conversation about how we overcome all the phobias and all the isms if America won't take ownership for just the very nature in which she operates. And that is a problem. How can we defeat anything if we can't get to the root? And it also makes me feel like situations like this that are kind of like captured on video and then exposed... Do people really have a say in how we experience events of racism and discrimination? Do y'all feel like it's possible for somebody to validate like, oh, no, that person wasn't discriminating against you or that wasn't an act of racism? Or is it something that we internally feel? And I think that that's a question, the million dollar question, because so many of our experiences are isolated, but we're taught not to talk about them. So we spend a lot of time thinking if we're tripping or not. And there are a number of people and there is no shortness of people that will invalidate you intentionally and maybe not intentionally. So yeah, I just wanted to use this baggage claim a little bit differently to talk on that, to call America out. Because yes, there are small joys. Yes, these cops were laid off. Yes, Amy was laid off. But when are we going to shift from a model to a mindset type of operation? If these people aren't in these positions anymore, that's great. And perhaps your messaging is to people in these positions, you will not expose yourself in certain ways as a person and think that you can stand apart from a company or a system. But what does that do for the mindset? How are we addressing the mindset? Because that's the real issue. And it's a mindset that America has reinforced throughout her years of operation. So that's that on that. I think it's about time to unpack y'all. This week, the baggage claim set us up quite right for the unpack segment. We're going to be talking about the impact of morality and ethics on our lives. And this is so good to me because I feel like the terms are often used interchangeably when really there is a slight difference between the two. And I feel like it's so important For us to understand that difference, to really be able to like navigate and maneuver a little bit differently. You feel me? So ethics is really a philosophical branch. And it's the branch that systemizes, defends, and kind of suggests concepts of right or wrong behavior. And ethics usually requires the understanding of norms or the context of any given situation in order to make a judgment. And then... It's kind of also like the overarching concept that drives our behaviors and it's usually connected to the values that we are rooted in because it talks about right and wrong. Whereas morals or morality is more the ideas or the opinions that drive our individual desire to be good. So ethics is going to tell you like, okay, you can go in either direction, but if you veer this way, this is on the spectrum of wrong and the opposite side is the spectrum of right. Whereas morality is just like, I'm constantly trying to push to the right side. So how do I do that? 
And so morality is more thought-based and it really represents our boundaries, right? Like what I'm willing and not willing to do. And of course, there are so many sources that influence how both of these develop in our lives and how they show up. For me, I think that the most important one is family and then that's followed by environment. I know there is this huge arena to have this conversation of nature versus nurture, but I just like to think that family and by that, I mean the people you grow up around have the ability to frame your exposure and determine the extent to which you are exposed to something. Now, that is, of course, influenced by perhaps whatever environment they've experienced. Hence why I see it as the secondary component of influence. Okay. But what happens when these two don't match? When our ethics and our morality just don't line up. Like we say that we think X, Y, and Z is right or wrong, but we do something that contradicts what we say we believe ethically. Of course, with me having a background in social science, I feel like the immediate answer is cognitive dissonance. Like the ideal version of what we hope to represent not matching up with the actual version of what we represent. Cool. But what does that look like practically? Like what okay that's a lot of words like what does that mean and I feel like I can think of a couple of examples one of the biggest ones that pop out to me is just the messaging that is sent with female rap artists entertainers and I say that because if you look at the industry it almost seems like it's inevitable to have success without body augmenting or augmentation it's almost like if I don't fit the mold visually of what a quote-unquote woman is supposed to look like, then do my lyrics and does my skill matter just as much? And if I'm going to get into this arena and call myself a female rapper, am I okay changing my body for the sake of my craft or skill because that is what it takes to be successful, even if that's not what I believe in? Because I remember there were like a couple of hip-hop episodes that I had seen where I think the guy Fresher was talking to some girl about becoming a rap artist and was telling her that she should get her body done. And she was very adamant about like, no, I'm not doing that. But does that make it more difficult to succeed in or be noticed as it pertains to today's culture and society? Because we're not talking about the days when Missy was saying, I can't stand the rain. Like we're talking about today. I also think about you know, even politically, America beginning to open back up in the midst of a virus that we don't know a lot about. We still don't understand fully what corona is, if it's going to come back, if it's seasonal, and yet we are deciding to operate for the sake of financial gain and stability. So it's like, okay, it's opening up right or wrong, but then our moral, moral says, do we value health or do we value money? And I think the answer is clearly the latter. Um, I mean, if we take it further, even thinking about the whole like mind your business, stop snitching codes and cultures that exist within our communities, like everybody knows. The most recent example is with Takashi, right? Everybody calling him a rat. And there is this controversy around him feeling like, yeah, I can be this individual, fully be myself, embrace that I snitch, and still have success, and still be reverenced, and still have a dope fan base. And if people's um, disregard for him or um, 
thoughts about him and street culture have anything to do with the fact that that they just have never been able to do that because they never challenged the ethics or morality of the people that were around them. But the situation with Takashi makes me think too. When, if ever, do you throw your friends under the bus? And if you do, were they ever really your friends? Okay? Because that situation with him and everything he was involved with was real messy. But those were his people. So, mm, I don't know. The jury's out on that. Y'all let me know what y'all think. I mean, but we see things with ethics and entertainment even deeper if we look at the situation with Tupac. I mean, well, yes, Tupac. Tupac and Biggie are also examples because we have two legends that we absolutely lost to the streets. And I'm convinced that somebody knows exactly what happened, but people won't speak up. And that is because there are matters of morality and ethics. Why don't you say anything? Is there a code that you're abiding by, which would overall be the ethics of how you would operate in that situation? And then you're saying morally what you believe in. If you're going to abide by the ethics of not coming forward about a situation. But I was actually going to prior to that bring up the situation with R. Kelly. Controversial as that is also, it's also like there were people around this man on his team operating with him knowing exactly what he was doing but they did it why they knew that it was wrong but did they care more about their career the fame the exposure the accessibility the privilege than they did about calling him out and possibly being a target for his backlash Mm. so yeah and then i mean it gets even a little bit deeper because you know these are all like really societal things that we've experience and have been exposed to but what happens when it's you what happens when it you personally and I know I asked that to begin with so now I'm just gonna drive it home because I was watching a show with my mom and in the show there was a married couple the guy was a athletic teacher and he was sleeping with one of his students she was a teenager he was married and about to be having a kid there was conversation that alluded to the fact that he had never prior to that situation considered himself someone who would sleep with a teenager, let alone have an affair. But he did. And he ended up having to confront it because he had to come clean and tell his wife about it because it was exposed. And what does that mean? Like, what does that do to your moral and your ethics as the person who is victim in that situation and the person who's perpetrator? I know for me, I have my own like, you know, story, there's so much conversation around side chicks or side partners and, you know, affairs and things of that nature. And I've had my very own experience um, of being in a situation where I was not necessarily the main person of interest. Didn't know it initially, but it occurred. And so there was a lot of morality and ethical thoughts that I had to sift through to decide, like, am I going to continue to be in the situation now that I know what I know, considering what I say I live by, but what I have been doing unbeknownst to me, and now that it is in the light, how am I going to proceed? And what that says about my morals, like, do you have good morals or nah? Like, are you the type of person that would want this done to you? Why do you always say you don't live by this, but yet you're going to continue to carry out an act that contradicts that? Mm. Okay. And if there was a box of million dollar questions, I'm sure those would be included, right? And it's not that 
I didn't have people around me when we go back to the notion or the thought of who influences our ethics and our morals. It's not that I didn't have people around me that weren't open and boisterous about their opinions and how I should proceed. But that kind of triggers the idea of how much of our friends' words or feedback do we take when it comes to our morals? How do we ingest it? What do we filter it through? Um, Because aside from even that situation that I was in, I've had conversations with many of my, with a couple of my friends that spoke to me just about how I show up in space and how I would dominate spaces unintentionally and kind of utilize I statements in a way that came across as judgmental. And I realized that as I was taking this feedback from my friends, there were some very consistent things that I had to consider. One is, are these people that have really shown our friendship stands the test of time, right? Are these people who can relate, people that I see out here going through their own situations, not pretending that they're perfect or not trying to act like they have it all together and can speak from a space of, hey, I get you because relatability is everything, especially when we feel like our ego is being called out or we're being told about ourselves. There's actually this dope book by Brene Brown that I'm reading that talks largely about this concept as it relates to vulnerability, but just she calls them stretch mark friends. And so these are people who have proved tried and true to you that have been through things with you that maybe you guys have had disagreements, but you're able to bounce right back. Your day ones, essentially, right? It's like our day ones. And she talked about these people being able to offer a reality check. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they check your reality with is going to be what you agree with and what you decide to go with. But it does imply that there will be some level of consideration reserved for their opinions to determine your course of action. But then we have to think about in those situations, how do we determine what is collateral damage? As we make the effort to uphold our morals, which align with our ethics in any given situation, how do we figure out, okay, if this gets destroyed in the process, I am okay with that. And some similar situations I definitely think about are work. It can be tough to stand up to someone in a dynamic where you feel powerless and you know that what a person is doing doesn't align one with business ethics, but two, just your ethics, because especially when it's something that they are then asking you to do. So for example, I used to work for an agency where I was a mental health professional providing therapy services in a school in an urban district. And I was being told essentially that I wasn't providing enough billable services for this satellite location to be profitable and purposeful for the organization. So essentially they wanted me to code things in a way that they could be billed for me sitting with the students and talking with them. But that required me giving a preliminary diagnosis of some sort. That yeah, could be changed down the line, but it still stands it would be a part of their medical record forever (laughs) because I'm putting it into a billable system to put on their insurance. I was not okay with that. I personally don't feel that after one 45-minute session of sitting with somebody to gain an all-encompassing view of who they are from like birth to literally when they're sitting in front of me, 
I don't feel like 45 minutes is an adequate amount of time for me to be able to make the diagnosis. And to me, it didn't matter if I could change it later. It's like, I'm not going to do this for the sake of being able to bill and then to provide evidence to the organization that this satellite is necessary and that it can be profitable and be quote unquote worth it. Just wasn't a part of my ethical system. Wasn't a part of my moral morality <laughs> because I grew up in an environment where I understand the conversations and how mental health impacts. And so often the first time we're introduced to it is through the medical lens of, let me prescribe you something. Something is evidently wrong with you as opposed to normalizing and creating a conversation around your mentality being conditioned from the multiple experiences that you went through that forced you to either be in fight or flight mode or that have caused a number of synapses and messages to be reorganized and restructured in your brain and breaking that down in a way that people like get it it relates they're like all right cool so that they can open up and be truthful about their experience so yeah I just wasn't going to do it, but that did put me in a position where I had to express to my superior at the time that I wasn't going to do that and ultimately did result in the passive aggressive response that many of us have been exposed to in the work world, whether that's okay, so now I'm going to put you on a performance review plan and I'm going to start writing you up for things that were never even considered before, even though it's what you've been doing, but now I'm pointing it out or I'm going to cut your hours, or I'm going to put subliminal messaging in our team meeting so you know that I'm communicating this to you without outwardly attacking you. So I can I know that that space can be tough. So how do we determine that? How do we say, okay, I have to risk or consider the risk of all of these things happening to me if I follow through with standing firm on my morals in this situation? So y'all let me know what y'all do. What have y'all done? What have the experiences been like? Because I gave y'all one of mine and I struggle with that. Being a person who knows how to take the back seat with my morals for the sake of like the greater good and picking my battles over a thing. Because I consider, like I think we all do, myself a person with good morality, especially as it relates to overall humanity. So yeah, y'all hit me on that because I, I'm at a loss. However, it does bring up another point to me. Um, well, a question, which is like, how should how much we like somebody determine or sway our morals and our ethics? Okay, I was watching a TV show, as y'all can see, I'd be watching Mad TV during quarantine, which is funny because that is not normal for me. Anybody who knows me knows I do not watch that much TV on a regular, but I was watching TV and there was a conversation that transpired between the two characters on the show where she was after or doing an investigation and she needed help from this person because they were able to leverage something that she needed. And he did it because he liked her. He put himself at risk because he liked her. And initially there seemed to be some like reciprocity in the sense of like an equal attraction. But over time she ended up getting herself caught up in and with someone else. And so her focus and her energy moved from this particular individual to another. But yet he allowed his decision to continue helping her be based on how he felt about her. And I just need to know, because again, that's something that I do struggle with. How often y'all do you 
want to ensure that your messaging of being a good person is not being confused with I'm trying to make a pass at you or I'm trying to get with you. I like you. And that's tough. That is one of the reasons why I am very careful about interacting with my male counterparts. It's just because I know largely there is a narrative around about women and the whole double standard of how women interact and what their messaging means. But by nature, I just am a cool girl that I kick it. I've always, when I was younger, I had lots of guy friends and we just used to kick it. I mean, my group, my friend group was pretty mixed. But as I've matured, I found that, for example, let me just give you an example. When I was in college, there was um, a guy, I was a residence educator. There was a guy that was in my dorm. He was super cool and he liked me. We hung out a couple times, but I, I wasn't aware of the fact that he liked me until he like, vocalize it because that's another thing I'm big on like I'm not going to imply or assume but I take friendship and kindness at face value for what it is long story short he ended up liking me even to the point where he had some of his line sisters like not press me but come up to me and try to gauge or influence how I was reacting in a situation with him or how I was going to respond to his extension of being more than friends and I was like "Mm, no so I had to cut that there but it made it awkward when I would see him in the future of like, hey, do I still speak to you? Do I say what's up? Because I think you're a nice person and I'm trying to still uphold my morals and my ethics and my values. But this has now gotten a little bit awkward, like a little bit. Like, I don't know if y'all remember Steve Urkel, but there used to be like Myra who like really, really loved Steve, but Steve wasn't with it. And Steve like used to be nice to her and always find himself in these situations like with Myra caught up because... I mean, I think eventually they got together, but at first he was all into Laura and was not trying to give Myra no play. So yeah, just that kind of a situation. What do you guys do in that event? Better yet, what about when you actually have like somebody, they betray you and you have to still operate or navigate or determine if you're going to operate and interact with them? Like, how does that shift your morality? Like, do you then get emotional and say, I'm not going to deal with this or... How do you, what what value system do you then develop around that person? Like, I value myself so much so that I'm not going to interact with you. Like, my morality states that in order for me to continue to be a good person, I can't talk to you. Because I might come off at you, I might pop off and pop out, and that could get really ugly. So, that's another thing that I consider or think it's important for us to consider. Because so many of us find ourselves in people situations where... We thought somebody was like our ride or die, held us down, was going to be there through thick and thin. And then something occurred and shifted the whole, like the, the whole painting just turned upside down. The colors went everywhere. This went from being a very clear cut, boundary driven situation to oops, what happened there? How did we get here now? And... I know that that can be tough for a lot of people. I've seen my friends go through it, my family, and I've also been in those spaces of how do I reestablish a system of morality to somebody or with somebody who's betrayed me or do I not? And does exposing myself to that person post the betrayal say something about me? And should I not extend that grace? Because that also is connected to our morals. But I digress. I mean, whatever way of the fence you sway or sit on, I think it's just important that we know certain things about our ethics and our morals so that we can reconcile as we are encountered with things in our life. Because 
our morals and our ethics are definitely going to change and transition as we go. I'm pretty sure like what we valued and how we operated and what we saw as good and bad or right or wrong when we were teenagers may not necessarily be the same now. We have more wisdom, we have more experience, we have more knowledge. Not to say that we still don't operate in this chasm or this space as adults where we still allow strong influence from one particular source to determine how we're going to set that system up but just to say that it is going to change and it's okay to have different morals than the people around you you know i just think that it really requires communication and boundary setting for yourself and for the other people like there are friends that i know i will not have certain conversations with them because i've been in situations where I didn't want people to speak to me about how I was maneuvering in this space. And part of that was like a defense mechanism. So be mindful of that too. But it was also because I want to have the liberty to open up the space for conversation and for reflection in a way that is productive to my operation. I don't want you to just feel like all the time you can just jump in and say whatever you want, however you want about what I'm doing. And again, that portion is not necessarily about um, protecting the ego because I just want to be able to process it and then be able to bring it to the floor and then how you deliver it cool say whatever you want but I think that there should be a space again boundaries to like have a system set up of when do you consult other people about what's happening with you and your ability to process and consume that feedback because we're not always going to have the same thoughts ideas, values, ethics, morals as anybody in our life, even when they are the people that were largely responsible for imparting that system within us. Because as we get around different people and do different things, we will just develop our own basis. And I think that is so important because when we just assume the values and the morals and the ethics of other people, we largely remove ourselves and we become absent from our own process. So, for example, I think one of the biggest conversations I can think about that relates to this is people talking about jealousy and haters and how that whole dynamic relates to motivation and what motivates us. When really... I get it. I get why people say jealousy and envy and haters are what keeps people going. But at the root of it, that jealousy, that envy, and that hatred is a person projecting insecurities and incapabilities about themselves onto you. And so it's like, if we think about morals, do we just ignore that as people if we have the capacity to hold space for those conversations instead of extending ourselves and being like "Mm." especially if it's somebody that's close to us because I feel like we have all had situations with a Judas or two and people love to act like they have the purest circles like the realest people in their circle and that's a whole other conversation because sometimes depending on the context in which people consider themselves real they carry in a whole lot with them that that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother episode but we've been in spaces where we felt like We were feeding something that tried to bite our hands. So do we not create that space for them, right? Do we just assume and chalk it up to, oh, I'm so, because that's what it is too, an inflation of the ego. I'm doing what I'm doing so well and I'm so good that all these people just hating. They just hating. There's a deeper rooted issue. Sometimes it's systemic, sometimes it's individual, and it has really nothing to do with you. But it is not always because you out here doing what you do so great. Not taking away from you, you probably are. But just saying, let's be mindful of both sides of the coin. 
So I've said all that to say, do you need to reevaluate your ethics and your morals? Are there areas in your life after this conversation, after us thinking over some of these questions and these experiences, and maybe some things were brought back up in your mind that you went through, are there areas that you need to revisit and possibly adjust your morals and your ethics? Because ultimately those things do impact our self-worth and they do structure our identity to some extent. I know one thing I had to really, really get used to was seeing myself as somebody who deserved nice things. I already told y'all in the last episode, my experience with a poor mentality. And so when it came to me having more quote unquote luxurious things, I distanced myself from that type of lifestyle or that type of experience because I had made it up in my mind that a person who has nice things has certain ethics and morals that I do not operate by. Therefore, I cannot have these kinds of things because I am not that type of person. It was my way of, again, protecting myself from a cognitive dissonance. But that perspective was really flawed. So once I was able to readjust that and dig within myself to figure out, like, why do you think that those morals or ethics exist? And why do you think that you do or don't embody those? Like, let's do some self-work here. And once I got through that, I started to be like, mm-mm, enter the whole Roddy Rich, like, G-Wagon, Order Rover? Really? Okay. <laughs> but no, I really started to separate and realize let's make this a measure of like you work hard you deserve things and not you are this type of person so you do or do not deserve things and those are two different thought processes so yeah just wanting us to have that mindful moment and think about where if at all we have to readjust and realign our morals and our ethics to match who we are in the current space and time speaking of locate where we are Mm, Y'all know, GPS, let's go. You have reached your destination. Y'all, so it's time to emphasize and talk about the things that help us get through situations in this segment. I've also felt like having a conversation around moral and ethics, I had to be honest and transparent with you guys and vulnerable about the fact that I was really apprehensive about putting this segment into my podcast because I am not hyper-religious. I did not grow up in church and I was concerned that people would feel as if I was trying to force my perspective onto them and or have this notion that a, a lesser than greater than kind of line of communication was being established and that wasn't the case. But as I went through to locate my feelings about that, I realized that is the messaging that I got from people who were extremely religious and how they operated themselves and what their behaviors and their words communicated about my role as a person outside of the belief system at that time. Then I also realized that, but look, based on your moral and your ethics, like I decided to put this segment in here because what if there is a person that, you know, is open to or does have a relationship with God, but is in a space where they feel disconnected or what have you, maybe this segment can be the piece that draws them back. Who knows, right? And I'm just trying to do my part because we are all interconnected. And so if this be that thing, great. And if people don't get with it, that's cool too. It's just not for them. But anyway, so thinking about the conversation of moral and ethics as it relates to religiosity, I had to reconsider what it was that I felt when I wasn't a believer. And now being a believer, 
I hear the same story that I used to tell people so much. Like, I just don't know if I'm worthy of God's love or if I have the qualities of the kind of person that can uphold what it means to be a believer. Like, I don't know that I'm that much in alignment. Again, very like religiously connected conversation. But I was reminded of David. I don't know if you guys know about David or not, but David had a very interesting life. He started out in the Bible as a shepherd boy, um, tending to his father's flocks. Some time passes. He slays Goliath, which is the giant that people who were prepared to face this giant couldn't even defeat. Um, He goes on to be ordained as king, and then he's on the run from Saul because Saul's not having it with him, and Saul is coming for his head and wants his neck. And he even gets to a point, y'all, where he participates in adultery and has the man of the woman he slept with, her husband, has him killed in the front line of battle. Okay? David had a little bit of everything. And if you want more on David's story, you can go to the books of First and Second Samuel. I believe in First Samuel starts in chapter 17 and goes well into Second Samuel. Read the whole thing. It's a really good story. But um, my point being that David had his ups and his downs right? He had his highs and his lows, but he was a man that was after God's own heart. Um, He was shown the grace of God. There were times when he was under attack. There was times that he sinned, but he confessed and he paid for his actions, trust, because he actually ended up impregnating that woman. They had that child. That child fell ill. Like I said, read the story. I ain't going to ruin the whole thing for you. It gets good though, okay? It gets good. It's like a soap opera, like a novella. But my point being that David is honored in the Bible. And he's talked about as, again, a man that was after God's own heart. And even though he fell short, his morals and his ethics switched up. Sometimes they were not in alignment with God. Sometimes they were. And he was taken care of. He was provided for. He never fell out of the good graces of God. So I say that because if you are a person that you just feel like, you know, things that you've been through, the way that you operate, you've done things that you feel like is not worthy of forgiveness, or you've done things that cast you outside of the love of God, that's a lie, okay? And I just want to convince you that that's a lie because David is proof. I'm living proof. I'm pretty sure there are people in the church that be hallelujah, holy ghost, and raising their hands that are proof. So don't be discouraged, okay? Continue to just hone in Live your best life, be mindful, act with intentionality, and know that, like, once you're in the grace, once you're in the space, once you've entered into a realm of like spirituality and connectedness with God, He's gonna lead God and direct you because that's what He does, Chief Navigator. Okay, so y'all, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed sharing the content. I cannot wait to hear your feedback about all the components and all the questions that were asked. Remember, you can follow me on social media at Chillin' With Chas. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so that you are automatically notified when we drop our episodes. The next episode will be on June 10th, so keep your eyes out. Until next time, stay chill. I'm out. There's no perfect way to do life, but in order for us to get where we're going, we have to acknowledge where we are, where and what we come from. Otherwise, we're out here, just lost. Lost. Lost.